It's good to see you, man. It's been too yeah, long. Yeah, you guys too, man. I know it has. It has. Did In you fact, ever? Uh, did you I ever quit smoking? It's, it's been uh, 19 months since we last saw. That's a, uh, you know, that's that's two and one nights of a baby. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know? it. You know, if, if someone told me that the other day, they were like, oh, "I was doing an interview and we were talking about you guys' festival," and I was like, "Yeah, you know, last year was a blast," and I realized it wasn't last year; it was the no. year before last. <laughs> That's right. Time time flies, man. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last time we, we when we saw you at the festival, we had just talked to you a couple of weeks prior. And when you get when you got to the festival, um, you told us that you you were a little surprised by all the times that we kept saying that your movie was a crowd pleaser and how it kind of stuck out in, in all the, you know, found footage uh films that we show at the festival. Then you survive the festival, and you're like, "Oh, now I know exactly what you guys were talking about." <laughs> like, I mean, so, so yeah. So, just how, how was your experience uh, being fully immersed into uh, Unnamed Footage Festival? Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I will say that was just just definitely a, a shock to the system is that when we did speak, you know, I I didn't quite grasp what you meant, and then when I hit the festival and I started watching films. The, the, the thing that really smacked me in the face was I was like, man, I've missed a whole new generation of found footage filmmakers and found footage films and a totally different style of found footage. When I was starting to make Malibu, found footage was we were trying to make it as commercial as possible and we were trying to make it as uh, adaptable to the studio system and theatrical releases as possible. And when I started seeing films at your festival, I realized very quickly that everything went went underground and got artsy and got really creative. <laughs> and I never looked at found footage that way, I'll be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, you know, foreign films growing up, uh, especially working at a video store and stuff and having a decent foreign section in one of the stores I worked at, I absolutely, you know, was very much like kind of drawn into the fact that it felt like it was a mixture of like, foreign films from like the 60s or 70s and like American found footage, if that makes even sense. You know what I mean? It was just kind yeah. of like somehow a lot of people took it to the artsy level. And I, I would have never, ever, ever honestly thought of that, ever thought of that. And now my brain definitely thinks about things like that. You know what I mean? Now, again, you got to deal with audiences and you got to deal with the love it or hate it. There's going to be this direct split. You either love it or you hate it. When you make a movie, the goal is to try to be in between, right? So when someone comes out of it, they say, ah, I liked it. It was all right. But they don't just flat out go, oh, my God, you stole two hours of my life, you know, and they're super pissed. And you know what I mean? You don't really want that. You know what I mean? The, uh, the honest truth is if you're going to spend money, you have an investor, and you got to make the investor's money back, you can't just go full-blown whatever you want to do. But that seeing those films at your festival – made me think like, damn, some people are actually doing that. They're just doing whatever they want to do. And that's really cool. And that's true artistic freedom. And I'll be honest with you. That's like, you know, when I was 20 years old making movies on like 35 millimeter and spending a whole lot of money on just a camera, like I wanted to be super artsy. And like my first short was, was very David Lynch-ish, but I still kept it commercial enough to where I knew like people would be, you know, 
uh, you know, at least in that middle range, give it a five. You know what I mean? So when, you know, when you make these films, you're either going to get a 10 or you're going to get a zero. And I think that's freaking cool because it takes a lot of balls to do that. You know what I mean? It takes a lot of creative courage to just say, you know, the hell with what people think. I'm just going to throw this out there. And also found footage enigmas, films that you're constantly trying to figure out. That's something new too. Like it was always like found footage was like, Hey, we're all in this together. We're all a part of this together. But, uh, you know, some of these films were very, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using parts of my brain that I didn't usually use while watching a found footage <laughs> film. And that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah. What, what particularly stood out to you? I remember that. I remember I looked up the schedule and the day that we showed Malibu horror was, it was pretty stacked. We had, we opened up with Gerber syndrome. Then we had Wesson's play earlier that day. Putrefiction played. And it's funny. You're talking South about South Africa, Mexico. Yeah. And Italy talking about like thinking about the genre differently and taking risk. It does come with a price though. Like uh putrefiction. Love that movie. All shot with a 3d or a 360 camera and uh, never found distribution and ended up on Tubi eventually after a long road of, trying so you know i there is a price to pay and you know honestly after our interview with you we kept getting people saying how do i watch malibu horror and it didn't help that that interview was like two years ago <laughs> but again you'll people will be able to see it in a proper theater yeah that's so why very he's different, back. yeah very different yeah. roads yeah do you remember yeah. what movies like stood out to you y yes definitely future fiction that you so that was i was like i walked in like five minutes later i i was there for the whole fest so i tried to check out as many films as i possibly could um but i walked in like five minutes late and i couldn't leave because i was like this is this is just because i you know i had already messed around with 360 cameras i own a couple um you know even my webcam right now is an insta 360 uh, uh uh 360 camera that can can do things like that so i had already messed around with that format a little bit it was too late to incorporate it into malibu but you know i never thought to do what they actually did and it again there's a certain thing about it that reminded me of um the late 90s where like i grew up watching a lot of like where I consider the independent genre was born was the late nineties, all the independent filmmakers, all the big yeah. filmmakers of now came out of the late nineties and everything was super indie and super raw. So future fiction felt very raw, but I, I knew it. I knew it towards like, maybe like I would say, Oh, it only took 20 minutes for me to say, Hey, look, this is again, niche and niche works, but you got to find that that distribution niche and that, that like yeah. audience that likes it. And so, and also you got to avoid you know, anybody calling something gimmicky, right? So like, I wouldn't have said anything about the 360 camera. I would have just let people experience it for themselves. I mean, I remember in the early found footage days, it was like, this one's all on an iPhone. This one's all on a GoPro. And you're like, what, what? And then you just had to like, check it out. You know what I mean? Because you're like, I can't believe he did a movie all on a GoPro. And so for me, I straight up wanted to see this movie because it was all Insta360. So on one hand, I am that audience member that's like, oh, what? They shot this thing on 360 camera. And I thought it was super creative. And I really enjoyed that film. And it made me think. And that, that's the most important thing about films is like, you know, Malibu is not one of those types of movies. Malibu is kind of a standard. You know, if you go to the theater, you're going to you're going to see a movie that you you know, expected to see. You're not going to walk out of there going, damn, that was super artsy. I mean, you can tell by the title. You can tell by the, you know, the, the way it's, the way it's being marketed. It, 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 it's a standard horror movie, but you know, 
these films at the festival, you know, really made me think. And like a lot of these films took risk and chances. And like I said, it still is a risk. It's, it's an amazing thing on the creative side for the filmmaker, but on the business side of it, you got to say, Hey, we might not get distribution. We might not make our investors money back. You know what I mean? If you only spend a couple thousand dollars and it's your own money and like you're working a nine to five and you're like, Hey, I'm saving up my paychecks and I'm going to make a movie like this, then by all means, make it as crazy as you want to, because it can become a calling card that makes no money, but gets you another job, gets you another, Mm -hmm. a bigger directing job. You'll see found footage filmmakers. Every single one of them has kind of stepped out of found footage into big budget films. You saw it with, uh, Rob, uh, Savage, right? The dash cam guy. He, he did host dash cam. And then now what did he do? Boogeyman, right? Yeah. Boogeyman. Boogeyman. And then you saw it with the kid who did uh, Deborah Logan, you know, uh, he jumped mm-hmm. out and he did like Insidious 4. Everybody gets like the, the part four, part five of one of these franchises, right? <laughs> and, and But it's that's your entryway in, you know, look, I guarantee you they're going to hire somebody for this exorcist coming up. You know what I mean? They're going to probably pull somebody out. Of, you know, all of these things that are getting in development right now, they're going to look to found footage filmmakers. And I also think the reason no, no one really talks about Found footage films are extremely technical to make. People seem to think these are easy. These are actually very hard to make. And edit, it's like editing a documentary with hundreds of, you know, hours of footage and the technical kind of choreography, the technical dance you have to do to pull off some of these scenes in a found footage film is very hard. And so I think studios take notice of that and they say, hey, they were able to pull off a scare or build suspense. And I think people get jobs that way. And I think taking risk, if you do a film like that, you do have the chance to use it a calling card, but you got to know deep down inside, hey, I might not make my money back. And that's okay if you don't spend a lot. But if you spend a decent amount of money and it's somebody else's money, you're going to have to figure out a way to make it slightly more commercial to appeal to a broader audience. Yeah. <laughs> but, but on the other side, when opportunity is given, sometimes you just got to put it all on black. You know? 100%. Just, well, yeah, that's 100%. I wish I could. I wish, like I said, that's what I did early on. And I wish I could do that again. There, there found footage really wasn't a, a, a thing uh, in the early 2000s. At least it wasn't a big enough thing um, besides Blair Witch. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. But like I said, it changed my perspective. And now I ask people to send me, you know, the artsiest found footage movies they find, you know, I'm just <laughs> like, hey, I want to I want to see it because I want to see, you know, what's because, you know, they're 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 to a regular audience member stepping into a theater, they're going to go, that was weird. What was that? And then to the found footage crowd, it's like, this is, this is the advancement. This is where found footage is going now. This is like, it's cool. It's the progression. And, 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 and like I said, I had taken so many years out to just work on my own film and I don't watch movies when I make a movie. So, you know, I took so many years out that when I, when I got hit with it, I got hit with it hard. I remember I was at the bar across the street being like, damn, that was a crazy day. I saw like five <laughs> movies. It ended with it was like the Outwaters and that that uh, the Alien Report was it called the Alien Report? Yeah, yeah Alien Report. Yep. Those two movies ended my night, and I was like, "Wow, those were you know they, they they were they were very different than what I was expecting." I mean, the Outwaters has the classic found footage like first hour, right? It feels just like found footage. It's edited very well, and then it hits you out of nowhere, and you're like, "Oh man, this is something completely different," right? And it, it starts genre bending very quickly, and I loved that film, and then. The, the alien report was just like, it was just like so crazy. You know what I mean? So, so to me, it's like these films were like, again, you know, just, just, just hit me with a left hook. Like, man, I, I did not know people were making movies like this. I'm so used to traditional, what I call traditional kind of theatrical commercial found footage. So you said you don't 
watch movies when you're making a movie? Is that to sort of, you don't want to skew your perspective on your current project or like, yeah, what, what sort of your thought process on that? It's more like, you know, creatively brain space wise, I try to stick to one thing at a time. Unfortunately in my life, you know, especially the last 10 years, I've had to multitask on multiple things at once. And sometimes one day can have three creative projects at once. And that's, it's just not healthy for your brain. So for me, I try to just focus on one thing because I can just watch a movie and get extremely inspired, inspired about something one way or another. And I don't like to get skewed. And I don't like to, I don't really figure out where my inspiration comes from until after the movie's done and it's cut. And then I go, you know what, that movie feels like this, this and this. It's never before in the writing process. It's never while I'm making it. It's only until after I'm done. I'm like, man, I really pulled a lot from this. I really pulled a lot from that. But watching movies during is, is, is too difficult for me because it, it, it pulls too many things out of my brain to, 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 to interest me. Just, especially if they're good movies. If I watch a bunch of good movies, if you hit me with five new movies and they're all good and they're all like, when I saw world's fair, I was like, Oh man, I got to make a movie like this. You know what I mean? I just instantly, I was like, <laughs> fuck, I got to put this movie yeah. away. Cause it has this tone. It has this vibe. And I'm just like, man, this is so, but I just had to put it away. I was like, I'll watch this again later. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, after I finished it, I was like, I'm not going to watch that movie again for a while, but I will watch it again. And it will aspire, inspire some kind of movie or tone or feeling from that. So. We, we were talking before me and Russ and, uh, about, you know, your last interview with us and, and last time we talked to you and, uh, and Russ said, you know, he was like, Hey, we're, we're still waiting for Scott's, uh, art house, uh, <laughs> found footage movie. Yeah, we, we could talk about that. So, so, so I, it's going to be a short guys. Okay. It's going to be a short cause it's gonna be very art house, Perfect. but I, I say that again. Perfect. Yeah. That's what you and, promised. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so here's the idea. Uh, the 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 film i'm going to make it i'm going to edit it okay and i'm going to create one digital file okay and then i'm going to take that digital file and i'm going to burn it to a blu-ray i think you guys i think your theater plays blu-ray still or is it just dcp is it blu-ray yeah okay because yep. a dcp would give the film to somebody else okay it would give the film to somebody else if i put it on a dcp so i'm going to put it on a blu-ray and then I'm going to destroy the digital copy. I'm going to delete it. I'll even film myself <laughs> deleting it. And then I am going to bring the Blu-ray straight there. And then we are all, including myself, basically, going to watch it for the first and only time. And then we are going to destroy the Blu-ray. <laughs> Dude, this sounds like David Copperfield. It's never no, going to be like seen it. again. No, and it's called it's Bucket List. It's called. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's called Bucket List. Dude, I love it. I love it. Um, I love it. Now, I do recommend that you predetermine how you would like to destroy it, as we've um, been asked to screen and destroy a movie before, and running it over with the car did not work. It's a VHS tape. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, if I could put it on VHS and then we, watch, we projected a VHS, that would be great. That would be great. A lot of it's going to be probably... Sh- yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like, if we still preserve it, but it just doesn't play. Yep. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, I we'll think, figure some way out. We'll figure some way out. I got a digital converter. I could do VHS. We could probably figure it out out here. Yeah. No, no, I definitely can. I can definitely spit out a VHS. I could spit out a 90s handy cam. I got all that stuff. We could spit out whatever we want. Yeah, I can convert it to anything. No, you we'll got Betamax? I don't have Betamax. No, I missed that era. I missed that era. I'm, I'm a VHS, CD, DVD, Blu-ray kid. So that's about as far as I go. I don't have the Betamax or the 8-track. I don't know much about those. Things, or LaserDisc. But. 
I don't know much about that. I did get into HD DVD before Blu-ray. I have the whole library oh, of HD yeah. DVDs. Oh, you have the whole library? The How whole many library. Are in it's 212 or 215 movies, I think. Wow, oh, that's amazing. And then uh, Blu-ray went out. Blu-ray went yeah. out. And it is because of Tropic Thunder. That that line in Tropic Thunder, Blu-ray went out because of porn. It, it went out because <laughs> of porn. Damn. Yeah. So wait, okay, so is are any of the HD library worth any money? Like, is there a grail that people um, are looking for? Whoa. Um... I don't think so. So I bought, I, so I bought them real, like at Best Buy when they came out. They were like thirty or forty bucks a piece when they first came out because the quality was just incredible. The player, I think Toshiba was the only place to make the pl- a player. So I have four Toshiba players and the Xbox 360 HD DVD player as a backup well, because yeah. that's the only other thing that plays it. Um, but the movies themselves, I don't know. A lot of mine are unopened because a lot of mine are a lot of the movies in the library are trash. But I literally <laughs> bought it. I it like I bought I started collecting it and then some like kid on eBay is like whole whole lot of HDVDs uh, my player doesn't work like two hundred bucks and I just bought it and then I I think I have like so many doubles too but yeah it's a decent library there are some decent horror films for sure but um, I would have to check most of my unfortunately my physical space right now is all in a storage so I'm not able to do my my physical like I can't just glance to my physicals right now most of my physicals are in storage I only have like I chose a it took me forever I chose a hundred movies just to bring with me to this location so that took me forever I have about (laughs) four thousand physicals but I do have like three thousand digitals my my digital my voodoo and iTunes library is huge so so that keeps me going but yeah it was a nightmare to pick a hundred physicals out of forty five hundred so Wow. So you mentioned buying them at Best Buy. Did you hear yeah. what Best Buy announced? I mean, I, I've probably been able to tell since my last couple of Best Buy trips. I mean, I haven't yeah. seen many movies ne- in there. Yep. Next year, they're going to be done. Wait, done like what? what Physical movies? media. Yeah, they're not going to carry Blu-rays or anything anymore. What are they going to carry? Vacuums? Uh, you know, Terrell kept making a joke <laughs> that at Best Buy, they removed the whole movie section and put treadmills there. how how fucked up is that i remember when best buy opened here i felt like it was like a new church like i went in there and i'm like dude they have a horror section in here then it turned into just a blu-ray section and then it turned into just a like new release area oh yeah yeah now now we're done so i which you know oddly enough for found footage i don't think that's as bad as everybody else where a lot of those indie distributions never were at best buy but yeah fuck man i mean what a time to have your movie come out <laughs> scott you are going to do a physical release i'm hoping yeah so so i mean we don't have that locked in stone yet but yeah we're going to do a physical release i think i think that um it's important. I don't know what the run size will be like, but yeah, it'll be a physical. We're taking all three, all the stages and steps. So we don't have a streaming date yet. We don't have a foreign date yet. We're doing everything step by step. So right now we're just fully focused on theaters here in the States. And then cool. we're going to go each one as it goes. But yes, there will be a physical. Are you playing California? At least up here in the Bay Area? <sighs> So I, I haven't seen. So the final theater count will probably come Monday or Tuesday. We got 22 in LA and then there's gotta be some in the Bay area. I know there's Seattle, Portland, Denver. There's gotta be some in San Francisco or at least Oakland or the Bay somewhere in the Bay. There's gotta be, there's gotta be, but the final count won't come out till Monday or Tuesday because of Taylor Swift. Oh, that, that darling. <laughs> Wait, really? You bumped it because of her? 
Uh, no, we didn't bump the date at all. Exorcist did. We did not run. Yeah. We, we held steady. We held steady. We're a little film, you know, uh, uh, we held steady. We weren't scared, but no, no, no. What happens is, uh, she has changed the entire landscape of theatrical releases. Uh, so prior to her, the word presale only existed. Presale only existed in like the Marvel universe. So theaters right now are like, Hey, if you don't get presales, like we could pull your, we could pull your movie. And it's Whoa. like an indie horror movie. No one's going to presale this shit two weeks in advance, like day of maybe, you know, hour before probably, you know, and it's that kind of scenario. So basically they said, a lot of theaters were like, look, we get, we have a lot of theaters right now. Don't, don't get it twisted. Go, go, go to MalibuHorrorStoryTickets.com right now. You'll see there's a ton of theaters in, in probably playing in your area. But the theaters that we want and a lot of other theaters, they are being put on hold until this week, depending on how Taylor does. Because right now, a lot of people don't know this, but if a multiplex plays 20 to 30, if a multiplex has 20 to 30 screens, Taylor's getting, I think, 25 of them. And I think Killers of the Flower Moon will probably get... Look, because look, Taylor's three yeah. hours. Killers of, the Flower, Killers of the Flower Moon is three three hours and like 40 minutes. Three, three and a half, yeah. Yeah, the next so, so they're eating up all the screens. So there's a running joke. There's like five theaters I've already checked. Next weekend, it's just playing Taylor, Killers, and Malibu because there's no other screens to play anything. You know, so it's it's difficult and it's crazy that she has kind of changed the the, the game going forward probably pre-sales is going to be a thing it's like concert tickets like you lose your venue if you don't get enough pre-sales it's crazy wow and then talking about making a movie for market you know it's funny i never really understood that concept i always thought if you made a movie it would just you know your life would change and it would be kind of magic and like oh now you just you try to make a argument to get in a theater and if people spend money then it works but we watched, um, our buddy was part of a documentary, Craig Anderson, um, horror movie, A Low Budget Nightmare. And that movie kind of follows him creating his film, Red Christmas, and then trying to take it to market. And at the very end of the documentary, he has this like epiphany where he's like, holy shit, you got to look at like the market. Like people, you're like, maybe my movie's not bad, but nobody's looking for a Christmas slasher right now. And, and there are people telling him like, hey, you know what we want is an exorcist movie. Which, oddly enough, like the time we're living in now. Yeah. Because that movie's, what, six years old now. But, yeah, he's like, oh, okay, well, next time I make a movie, I'll look at the market and then try and adapt to it. I never understood that concept. But now, if we're talking pre-sale, do you think it's going to get worse? Like, you're going to have to really be tapped in? I don't know, but I do know when it comes to getting screens, their theaters now, look, we had a problem pre-COVID. A lot of people don't remember this. The theaters were going downhill pre-COVID. This was oh, really yeah. bad. We were losing. Yeah. Arclight in LA is my favorite place to go see a movie. I would go there almost every day. And they were telling me, hey, this is before COVID. They're like, hey, we're not doing well. And I was like, what? They're the Arclight, you know? <laughs> and, and 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 after COVID, you know, COVID hit, Arclight's gone. It's still not back. The Cinerama Dome's still not up. Nothing's up. You know, it's gone still to this day. And it's crazy to me because people don't understand that like the money it takes to market a film is so much already like the exorcist probably spent 10 to 20, maybe more millions of dollars just marketing the film. So they've got to make that back plus their budget. So, you know, they weren't going to mess around with Taylor Swift. They, they, they said, you know, hell no, we're not, we're not even going to attempt that. Let's bump up to October 6th. So, so that's what they did as a business move. And like, I don't think you make a movie thinking about the market, but I think when you finish it, you have to think about the market. Like for me, I would love for it to 
we're coming out for Halloween. There's no better market that you can come out with than a yeah. horror movie with the, the word horror in the title coming out on Halloween. So I think it's great for us. And I would love to drop this on streaming next Halloween because that's a good market for it to come out, right? So for me, that's kind of the way I look at it is make your movie whenever you make your movie, make it how you make it. But when you finish it, you do have to look at the market and find a good place. Horror hits for uh, Valentine's Day, horror hits in like the cold months and horror hits during Halloween. It doesn't do well in the summer you know just unless you're the blockbuster conjuring franchise you're not going to drop yeah. a, a horror movie in you know july it just doesn't really work well scott you bring up a good point you know that theaters were dying before covid but now theaters are in a pretty healthy spot now and i think a lot of that has to do uh with the barbie phenomenon and i think that is a perfect opportunity for your film since Barbie has a very uh, long history with Malibu. So is there any sort of uh, marketing campaign that uh, yeah. you were thinking about? I, I, w I wish we could have came out with Barbie and pulled something off like that. I mean, it, it still to this day trips me out the, the Barbenheimer. Like I didn't even understand how that worked. Like did the two studios get together? <laughs> like who did it? Who's like, did you hear about the Saw Patrol thing? They were trying to do yeah. Saw and Paw Patrol. It's like, <laughs> It's the craziest thing to me, but yeah, we, we, I, I wish we could have tied in, but you know, a good little side note about that is think about a movie like talk to me. I really enjoyed this movie. Talk to me, but think about this right. film. It, it came out during that craze and it was just, no one talked about it and it's still in theaters like 12 yeah. weeks later, Crushed. you know, yeah. 16 weeks later, you know, and it's just because it's like when you have something dominate so big and so, so genre, look, the Barbenheim thing, it didn't even make sense. Those two films, that's not a double feature. You know, what the hell? But <laughs> they figured it out. They figured it out, and it worked. And then this little horror movie, A24, drops, I mean, about $10 million, you know, throws it under the radar, and then just softly says, hey, we're here. And then the word of mouth comes out. The movie is still making money to this day. I think they made $50 million already. You know, that's a little foreign film. It's foreign, you know, no matter which way you look at it. That's a little foreign film, and, I, and it, it's, it's out, you know, and it's – to me, that's huge. And I think there is like a uh, opportunity inside of these things. So like the Taylor craze, we're too small, but the Taylor craze could get so big that you have this anti-movement like, oh, I want to see a cool horror movie. And like, there's look at yeah. the, the theatrical calendar. There's not much coming out. There's us, there's Five Nights at Freddy, and that's going to be on Peacock the same day. Um, so oh, shit. See, and they marketed it well. You didn't even you didn't even know that. I did didn't you? even know. Yeah, yeah, because they marketed it so well to get you to the theater that you're gonna go home and going, "What the fuck? I could have watched this on Peacock." You know? So, <laughs> yeah. so Scott, who the fuck are you know, talking to? I'm definitely not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys got. I know you guys love the theater. That's what I love about you guys. You guys, every time it's like you guys are at that theater like every day. You guys should have like your plaque on the wall. I see you guys. You guys, Terrell, are at the theaters all the time, and I love that. Wait, so when is when is Five Nights open with Malibu? It's not the same week, right? No, it's the week after. But that's the week we're supposed to expand. So so you want to do – you come out soft at a couple hundred screens. You hope to do well and hold some, and then you hope to expand into the following weekend. And Universal has just spent so much money. They've taken over CityWalk. Universal Studios, you know, they're, they're dominating. And that's a cult, that's got a cult following, and so it's going to do well too. And I think – Exorcist and Saw are kind of going to be kind of dying off by that time. So it's really just going to be Taylor Five Nights and then, you know, hopefully Malibu. All right. We'll start the campaign now. Five Nights at Malibu. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think the, the Barbie Hyman thing. Oh God, every, every time. time you do it every time. 
<laughs> you do it every time. <laughs> the Barbieheimer phenomenon, I think, is just a FOMO. It's Instagram opportunity, and it's people going out. And I think the theater has to be an event. And um, what, yeah. what's uh, Malibu's runtime? I feel like it was it was over ninety well, minutes, I mean, right? Look, it, that's not no. uncommon because if you look no. at you know you look at William Castle, you look at Hitchcock, like there's always been a gimmicky thing yeah. with theaters. Yeah, but that like, was a different era too. But the precedent has been set. You know, yeah, gimmicks work. But they weren't streaming on Peacock at the same. No, day. but like I, you know, I, Scott, I went to the theater yesterday and saw. Um, what did I say? What was that French the movie? The procedural. I saw? That yeah. Won some Cannes award. Or yeah, something. it was good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I can't. I, I can't think of the name. Of it. I'll look for it. Anyway, uh, and so at the Alamo here in San Francisco, and. Uh, it was in the smaller theater, and then downstairs, obviously in the three hundred theater, was Taylor Swift, and people were dressing up. Now, and, and that was the other thing. I, 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 I kind of put that in after the fact that they were dressing up for Taylor Swift. I just was wondering why all these girls were wearing berets, um, and apparently that's a Taylor Swift. <laughs> Whoa, uh, that seems like a military movie. Yeah, I, was, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> what the hell? All these berets walking around. Anatomy of a fall. That's what I saw yesterday. We'll that's that's how you know you go to the theater a lot when you can't remember the the film you saw yesterday. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. No, that's no, good. that's like me. I watched that. so many movies. He didn't even go to see his favorite franchise Saw when it came out. I know. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I got what? I got to see the new. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Dude? What you bought two tickets and refunded them? I have I have three credits available at Cinemark now because <laughs> I haven't been I haven't been to a Cinemark in three months. Yeah. So don't give him that. God, if anything, you got to give him advice. Are you, are you going to bring it up to him? Oh, I don't uh, want to out you. Well, so Scott, last time we talked, uh, I was uh, I was struggling with uh, the the cigarettes, if you remember, and you were yes. giving me some great advice on that. Now, I I, I will report that uh, a few months after the festival, I I, I weaned, I, I kicked cigarettes, kicked them to the curb, and I quit for about a year. And now, two weeks ago. I'm back on the train, oh, baby. <laughs> Look, I've, I send me your address. I will send you the CBD <laughs> cigarettes, and I guarantee you it works. Listen, when I was growing up, my grandma, they had the patch, the gum, all that stuff, right? And I was like, look, I'm not going to put a patch on my arm or chew this gum. Like, that's that's crazy. And, and look, for, in all fairness, I've been, I was a smoker for almost 20 years, like since I was like 13 or 14. That's a horrible, horrible thing to say, but that that is the truth. And I cold turkeyed it. I've been a non-smoker now for two straight. I quit two months before your festival, so it's it's been... Uh, yeah. yeah, December, December. So it was a little bit before. So almost, I'm, I'm coming up on two years now, but... It, it is the CBD cigarettes. I probably smoked maybe a carton of those over a three-month period, and then I, I, I got off of those pretty easy. And the only thing is, is like I said, you know, but you guys are in Cali, so it's not a big deal. The only thing is, is when you smoke them out in public, people go, he's smoking weed, you know? But you're not. Yeah. You're not smoking weed. You're smoking weed without the weed, you know what I mean? So it is phenomenal because what it does is it attacks that nerve, that nerve that makes you want. You think it's nicotine. You think it's this. You, no, that CBD does the same exact thing. And if you get... Redwoods from Oregon, these really, really nice ones. I think they're the only ones I can vouch for. Um, not like just some weird, there's a lot of like imitations out there, but I will send you some and I guarantee you uh, it'll work. You know what I mean? I guarantee it'll work. Cause like I said, I think it's not just about that. I stopped smoking for multiple reasons. I also don't think anybody's going to be smoking 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. I, I think cigarettes are going to be illegal in the whole country 10 to 20 years from now. It's a weird prediction, but I'm saying it. Well, Scott, I... here, here's, here's my thing, Scott. I, I can confirm. I 
hate cigarettes, but I love smoking. And that's the thing. It's like it's it's the ritual of it that gets me. It's not so much the nicotine. That's nice to get a little kick, but it's it's the ritual. It's uh, you know, I, I got I need to kill five minutes here. Uh, I might as well just do this. Yeah, I mean, look, don't go to a casino. When me and Val go to casinos, oh. that's when I have my hardest. That's my hardest. I'm in Vegas and I'm sitting there and everybody's smoking. And I agree. I love smoke, cigar smoke, cigarette smoke, weed smoke, whatever. I just love smoke. I love the ritual, just like you. That casino was the hardest thing for me to do. And that, when I beat the casino, I knew I had it beat. But, it, but at least you're in a Vegas casino. See, I, I, I've been on the opposite side. I'm from Mississippi. And uh, we we have a lot. <laughs> we have boats. great casinos on the coast, but the boat casinos. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, that is a new level of low. That if you yeah. <laughs> if you've never gone that far, bring your spurlunky yeah. kit because you're going deep into the chasms. That sounds fun. You get on a boat, dude. I'm tell, you have never seen more oxygen machines <laughs> in one mass grouping. He's, he's not lying. He's not lying. Whilst I'm people just, are smoking. <laughs> Yeah, I was just at the one in Baton Rouge, and it was the same kind oh. of situation. Yeah. Oh boy, that's that's a real wow. deal, country down there. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, the only takeaway when I went to Vegas last time um, was it was during COVID, and the the one rule was you know you can take your mask off if you're smoking, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is happening here? It was the most surreal, like weird experience, but. Yeah, I could see how being a smoker in there, it would be, that's brutal. That's like hanging out at a bar if you're an AA. Yeah. Like, what am yes. I doing? Yeah. Or watching Wake and Fright. You go right to drink. 100%. <laughs> so, so, Scott, what are you, are you still touring Malibu? I Your social media, man, like, it yeah, looks so like they, you're popping with it. It's, it's so basically, you know, there's, there's, there's three stages of making a movie, right? So you have like the pre-production scripts, you know, you write the script, you're in pre-pro, then you make your movie and then you edit your movie. Well, there's a fourth stage I don't really tell you about, and that's marketing the film and having to do <laughs> press and promo and all that stuff like that. So yeah, even though like I was like knee deep in post on the new movie, all of a sudden you get hit and say, Hey, we're coming out this date. It, basically everything has to drop because especially with the actor strike right now, you know, I have to do everything. Unfortunately, the cast can't promote the film. I have to do all the interviews. I have to do all this, all that stuff. And, and like I said, you know, when you hire teams, you know, uh, one of my producers, Andrew Williams, he hired, put together a really good marketing team, a really good social team, a really good, this really good, that, and you know, PR. And once they all come together, it's like, you start to realize that it's like, there's a whole separate side of, of making a movie and that's, that's marketing it and releasing the film. And it's, from deliverables to just, you know, everything that's involved, it's, it's a, it's a full-time job, man. I'm exhausted. You know, I'm exhausted. So, so I'm ready for this to come out and then, you know, I, I can, I can take a breather, but yeah, I'm this whole week. I'm, I have to go to like, like 20 different theaters. There's just a whole bunch of stuff happening in, 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 in preps a release, you know, we're having the premiere at the Chinese and like, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that yeah. has to take place and like really, you know, you, it, it, again, you think you're like, oh yeah, I could do that. It's maybe a couple hours a day. And then it turns into your like 20 hour days and you're like, man, and it just never stops. Like even well, the audience thing, we're dropping a bunch of the audience reaction stuff. Like, you know, they had to fill a theater, shoot that. And they're cutting all those videos together and I'm seeing them and I'm just like, man, these are really cool. And I'm just like, man, it's just like, you start to see how they market a film and you start to be like, man, this is, you know, it, it's pretty cool to see how your film kind of comes off and comes out, you know, even from like the poster stuff, like we had a bunch of posters made. Like, I think, um, 
I think I might have sent Oksana, I'm not sure, like the history of the Malibu posters. I think we have 38 posters from 2010 on. And you can just see the progression. And like the poster that we landed on, it's so crazy to think that we landed on that poster. And it's just like, Creepy Duck did it. He's like probably the best out there. But it's like, it's just a skull, a red skull. And like, that's the branding. And you get to see how your branding comes across, the font changes, like every last little thing like is themed out. And it's, it's a cool thing to see your movie like take that shape. And it has nothing to do with you really. I mean, I didn't even title this film. You know what I mean? Like, that's how crazy it is, you know? Damn. <laughs> First, Oksana, did he send you that? It was You're a long time ago. Way, if you want to say hi. I- I'm looking at my email right now. Okay. It was a long, it was did. a very long time ago. It was either that or I dropped it in like a found footage discord group that maybe Oksana invited me to. I can't remember, but I, I, I did have it. And I, I, I remember, I think I gave it to you guys. I'm not quite sure, but I, I put it right. somewhere. And when I saw it, I was like, it really showed me like, it starts off poster one, 2009, a missing poster, right? It's a missing poster. And of course we're like, oh, we're going to be Blair Witch. We're going to do this missing campaign. And we got these fake Facebook pages and these billboards. And then you can see it evolve into like more of a commercial shoot. And like, oh, we got pretty faces on our poster. And then it like turns into like, okay, let's make it more found footagey. So there's grid lines and a rec symbol and all these HUDs on our, our poster, you know, and you can, and like glitches, like you can just see the like, you know, progression of like trying to kind of, I guess, match the market. You know what I mean? These aren't yeah. me creating these posters. These aren't me doing these designs, but it's, it's creative people in the business that do this for a living that look at your film and say, okay, this is the way you get eyes on your, on your thing. I mean, I'll give you an example right now. There's standees and posters all over theaters and they're designed for someone to be sitting in a lobby, hopefully during Taylor Swift this weekend and going, huh, that looks interesting. It doesn't really tell you much, but you can tell it's a horror movie, right? You can tell it's a horror movie and you know that in the next two weeks, you probably want to have some kind of horror uh, experience in a theater, you know, it's cheaper than a haunted house. You and your friends can go sit around. It only takes 87 minutes of your life. And, you know, basically the goal is to just catch your eye. And so you don't think about those things when you're making a movie and you shouldn't, but after the fact, when you get to see these things, I mean, it, it, it is pretty cool to see how a movie comes out and like the final, like, I guess the final layout of how your movie is the branding and thematic layout of how your movie is kind of marketed to a general audience, you know, and look, not everybody's going to like it. That's for sure. Like I said, you know, I've, I've told you guys this, I've had found footage backlash since we started making this movie. You know what I mean? People are like, <laughs> People, because, you know, right now it's very, look, it's super confusing, right? So I'll give you an example. So, you know, all the headlines read like found footage, just found footage that, and then you drop a trailer that has like no found footage in it. And everybody's like, this is a found footage. This is bullshit. And then you drop a trailer that's all found footage. And everybody's like, oh, found footage. What the fuck? And you're like, dude, come on. How do we win, dude? How do we win, bro? Like it's a hybrid. Just go see the movie. You'll see, you know what I mean? It's found footage and it's, and it's traditional, you know, just go see the movie, you know, find out, don't judge it off trailers you know what i mean we got like eight trailers and i get it you know what i mean but it it, it is crazy to me because like i don't look i don't read reviews i don't pull quotes i don't i don't i can't even do a synopsis to my own movies like i can't do any of those things i can't summarize something if you were to ask me like tell me about the movie i don't think i could do it properly you know what i mean like i just because like to me it's like dude i'm such a movie goer it's like dude just spend 87 minutes and watch it you know then you tell me what you think about it. you know what i mean it's like i don't know but what i do know is i have seen a whole bunch of people tell me they're like, Hey, this trailer is really cool. Cause it's like super found footagey. And then this trailer is really cool. Cause it's like 
more, you know, traditional or whatever, you know, I, I don't, but it, it's this weird blend where a headline can kind of change the opinion on somebody. And like, oh, they're yeah, judging yeah. you, they're judging you off a 60 second spot. And you're like, dude, just go see the movie and then bash me. You know what I mean? But don't, don't, don't judge and say, this isn't found footage when you haven't seen it, or don't judge and say, this is found footage, you know, fully, you know, you just don't know, but it, it is, it is always this weird thing to play. Because like I said, at one point in time, you know, this was 100% found footy from beginning to end. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. And like the first three versions were, were that. And now it's like 45 minutes of that is inside of this film. And so it's, it's so, so hard to market or like try to tell somebody that if you don't, if you haven't seen it or you don't, even the title, you know, the title feels like, like everybody's like, Oh, it's like a cheesy, like grindhouse type title. Is this a grindhouse? Maybe like a grindhouse festival hit me up. Like, dude, we want you to open our festival. I'm like, bro, no, you don't. Trust me. You do not want us to, like, this isn't grindhouse. Dude. This isn't a grindhouse film. He's like, what? And I get it, but it's like, it's like, you know, you, you have to think about it. Like, you know, there's so many, you know, opinions people are going to form, but like, if you watch it, you'll see that these kids are making a show and just like any Dateline event, like, you know, Trouble in Tucson, it's kind of a title like that. And you'll see why it's called that when you see the movie, you know, and you'll go, oh, that makes sense. I think the dude from Panic Fest said that. He was like, they, we submitted the film. He's like, I wasn't even going to watch this thing, you know? And then he watched it and he goes, oh, I get why it's titled that. There's little things like that you can't convey to a, an audience <laughs> making a decision, you know what I mean? Making a decision yeah. whether they should buy a ticket or even click on the thumbnail and watch it on streaming. You know what I mean? And, and so it, it's, it's difficult nowadays, man. I, I will tell you that right now. This is my first real taste of it. And I can say it's, it's, it's a process. Well, yeah, because people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the general public is dumb. We know this. Let's not cast dispersion. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of get what the dude from Panic Fest is talking about. You have about. to spoon feed. You have to, you know. Well, there is, you know. A lot of Swifties out there, Russ. I um, I call found footage <laughs> movies. I, I, I say that a lot of found footage movies employ what I call a utility title, which is kind of signaling to the audience, like, this is going to be a found footage movie. And it's kind of the reverse of what happened with you, where it sounded like a grindhouse title. I still am mad at the Vatican tapes for not being a found footage film. Yeah. I'm like, do not put tapes in your title if it's not a found footage movie. So, I mean, I kind of get it, but I also feel Our like, project. Yeah, or pro or anything, or like, yeah. you know, um, interview 422. Dot M-O-V. <laughs> yeah, any, yeah, like, I mean, look, we were the Malibu tapes for seven years, you know, like when we, when we test screened it, we were the Malibu tapes. So I, I agree. And we only changed it because everybody, including the Vatican tapes came out and said, Hey, we're the, this tapes, this tapes, this tapes, this tapes. And you know, I, I, you're right. You know, when you see that, like, okay, I'll give you an example. And I think, I think we all can relate to this because you've said this too. When we're searching for thumbnails, there's like giveaways. It's like a title or like an image. If an image is like a glitched grid line with a rec symbol or a HUD or a camera or, you know, something that looks like the Blair Witch shot, the famous Blair Witch shot of like the runny nose, anything that looks like that or has a title, like just like what you guys just said, all those examples, you just know what you're getting into. And, and you're right. 99% of found footage probably has that, right? You know, but a lot of films now... I mean, Putrefiction doesn't have it. The Outwaters doesn't have that. You see the Outwaters poster. You see the Outwaters logo. You don't think found footage. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's the way it's progressing where, like, it's going to be something, like, hidden. Like, you're going to start it and go, 
oh, what the fuck? This is found footage and turn it off, right? Or you're going to start and go, damn, this is nice. This is found footage. I really love this genre. You know what I mean? You, you just don't know because, you know, we do know that like it's, it's this weird genre that like some people just freaking hate. And I don't know why that, because I think it's such a creative, you know, genre, but like there is a sub knit, like a subcategory of the horror community. That's like ugh, found footage. Like that's just so over yeah. and done. Yep. And I'm like, no, it's not dude. It's not, it's progressing rapidly. And like I said, you know, it's going to be hard to get it to the mainstream. I think Malibu is a testament of what a film would look like to try to get it to the mainstream, but it's still going to take, big directors making big movies that really give you a bulk found footage film. Like most of it being found footage and puts you in that, that, um, that, uh, kind of mindset back to being like the fifth character, right? Cause I've always said, you know, when you're the camera and the camera's a character, it's, it's a fun ride to go on. Like the film, um, the film from you guys is uh, festival this past year, you know, Chad gets the X. I love that movie. That is true. That is straight oh, yeah. found footage fun yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Shut the whole thing on iPhones. It's flawless. It's edited. Well, the whole, you know, um, uh, 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 what's, what's the graphics? Uh, what would we call that? The scroll, the, um, the feed, the feed that's going on the whole movie is genius. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's genius. And like, to me, like, that's a movie that I, I would say everybody should go see because like that is good old fashioned, traditional found footage. And it, it is just fun and it's done well. And yeah, it, 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 it is a sign of the times, but it, to me, like those films like do it. And, and the title's even hashtag, right? Chad gets the ax, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, again, you'll see that poster, you'll see that title and you will know right off the bat what you're getting into, right? Uh, or essentially, right? Essentially, I think you would. And so for me, it's like, I feel like films like that are really going to help too, because when you, if you have this like awesome, like, art house piece plus this like kind of commercial check Ch- gets the X could that could have, if that would have came out and is that, has that been released already? I don't think so. Wait, is okay, it, it is out, right? It is out. Oh, okay. So if that film would have been released in 2014 or 2015, they would have made $50 million at the box office. You know what I mean? Just because that was what made money. Those types of movies made money at the box office because they were just so, they were just so well received because they're entertaining and like, you don't think about the found footage aspect. You think about a bunch of, you know, influencers or whatever running around with cameras in a haunted house. And you think it's just like when you, like I said, when you watch ghost hunter shows, when you watch, you know, all of those things, you feel like you're just watching something like that. And, and that's, you don't think about the found footage element there, you know? And like, for me, God, uh, Blair Witch is the godfather of found footage, but some people still to this day watch it. They're like, oh, I just tried to watch the Blair Witch for the first time. I'm, first of all, I'm like, what the fuck? You're just now seeing that movie. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, they're like, you know, yeah, I was getting really nauseous and like nauseated. And I was like thinking to myself, I was like, you know, the shaky cam is still a big deal for some people, but that's, that's yeah. what 16 mil they shot that on eight mil and 16 mil cams. It's shaky as hell. The cameras have gotten way more stable. Now your iPhone mm-hmm. barely make, you know, like, like, so I think that's going to get eliminated over time. Plugins to stabilize your footage helps. And I think that's going to get eliminated over time. But like I said, people will make comments and being like, dude, the camera's too shaky for me. Like the cinematography sucks. And I'm like, dude, you don't even understand the cinematography on footage. It has nothing to do with you. You're doing that intentionally, bro. You're doing it intentionally. Like, calm down. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> see, the general public is stupid. I, um, I've had a theory since we've been like, since we've like focused on found footage from the beginning of the show. And I think found footage has, you know, a lot of it comes from the horror genre, but I think the people that like it are ultimately film fans. And there are, there are movies like Midnight Swim 
And we, we, every year we try to show non horror to kind of, I don't know, spotlight that. And well, uh, we've showed faith based films before, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, you know, and I think it's people who like to think about the format and the craft of film ultimately become attracted to it because it's so different. And the way you can roll out a story is so very different. Like what you were talking about with Chad Gets the Axe, I think you end up with like a YouTube kind of format where authenticity is king and not necessarily like, you know, a three-act structure. Although when the two find each other and you get a movie like Chad Gets the Axe, it's incredible. Like, and also I want you to know, I got a lot of shit for talking about the chat. We had Travis Bible on here and I just wanted to, to let him know that, you know, a younger audience really engages with the chat. And after we screened the film in the lobby, people were talking about characters in the chat. Like they were like major characters in the movie. And you were my lifeline. I'm like, hey, Scott was one of our jury and he loved the chat too. So I'm not a maniac, but I'm getting shit for that still. Because you <laughs> always talk about it. <laughs> it's, it's no, it's, it's, I rewatched the film. Um, I rewatched the film just for the chat. I was so obsessed because I was like, it says, look, when, when you talk about editing a film and graphics, like a lot of people are involved and you have to create storylines. So for Malibu, we have newspaper articles, all kinds of stuff in our film that is purely fake. It wasn't until the film, like maybe the 10th time I saw it in a festival on a big screen that I actually started reading some of my own newspaper articles. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, the dude who wrote this, this is awesome. Like, this is all, aw- like he wrote a real freaking article about these kids. Like, this is fantastic. And so, you know, usually you, you hire graphics guys and you say, hey, we need this to, to talk about this, summarize it. You don't think that they're actually going to create like a story within a story. And like some of these things like intrigued me in, in my own film. And so with this movie... It was, you know, I caught it during the first viewing in the film. And because I had to kind of pay attention to the characters, I couldn't fully focus on it. And so the second viewing, I just watched the feed. And I thought that's when I was like, man, this is about as authentic as you can get. And again, I would say it like this. The reason why it's easy to watch anybody who's gone down the rabbit hole on YouTube and then just realize like, oh my God, I spent four hours watching YouTube videos. It's, it's so easy to just take you into that, that that blanket tuck you into that bed and say, Hey, you're comfortable. And you're just watching it. And like I said, that's not easy to do for a general audience to, to have them realize that you've just like transfixed them or hypnotized them and they snap out and your movie's over and they're like, Hey, that was cool. And, and that, that's what that movie did for me. And like I said, especially the, 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 the scroll aspect of it was genius. I thought like, it's one of the best things I've ever seen, to be honest with you in found footage. And it's just, it's so entertaining that that sub storyline going on. So entertaining. Like, and it, the way he did it, the way he did just a lot of little things from the grayed out screen before they started recording was so authentic. I thought, cause you know, before you start recording, you get this slight kind of grayed out yeah. kind of filter. And then having that feed roll up, the sizing of it was perfect. Not too big, not too small. And so, yeah, I, 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 like I said, technically I give a lot of props to, um, as above, so below is the best technically done found footage film. Because when you watch that cinematically and on a technical aspect, that was a very hard film to shoot and technically pulling off some of those scenes were really hard. And I think Chad gets the X is right up there with that on a technical aspect, especially knowing he did it all on iPhones. Damn, I love hearing that. Scott, man, I missed you. As above, <laughs> as above, so below it was a weird one. Because I remember when it came out, I was kind of hard on it too. But then you look back on that movie and you're like, dude, there's something special going on here. 
And um, I don't think another found footage movie has really captured like an Indiana Jones opener like that, <laughs> or like national treasure. Yeah. Like it yeah. kind of, it kind of captured the essence of an action movie really well. Yeah. And then pivoted into like a religious horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, I'm curious, have you ever talked to, um, what's his name? Timur? Timur uh, Bekmabatov? <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Just like his mom says. Bekmabatov, I think is his last name. He is maybe the the king of producing like found footage movies that are going to find their way into the theater. He's done everything from um, Missing. He did Missing and Searching, but he also did Resurrected. Uh, he did Profile. He did Unfollowed. He did our hashtag J. Like he's done everything, but I don't know that I've ever heard him actually talk about the genre. And I feel like I would love to hear you two talk. I mean, are you familiar I, with them? Not, no, I have not, I have not met him, but I uh, definitely the films like, but you know, I think yeah. the thing that's interesting about some of those films you've named in particular, especially the last two that went theatrical is that, you know, that side of found footage um, that, you know, started with the unfriended and then what was it host and a couple others, you know, I'm missing some that actually got like a, a broad, broad Big, audience. Yeah. yeah. Those films, you know, they struck a nerve with people and our ADD multitasking society can relate. So I've seen both. I saw, so for me, I tell the people this all the time. Unfriended is one of my favorite found footage movies of all time. If you get a MacBook in a, like a hotel room, like not your own home, somewhere else, get a MacBook in a hotel room, a 13 inch, a 15 inch, not too big, not too small, but get, get like a 13 to 15 inch MacBook Go into a hotel room by yourself, turn off all the lights, lay on the bed and watch Unfriended. It's fucking scary. It's fucking scary. And it's the best way to watch that film. Missing, uh, no, Searching, the, the first one that dropped, I saw that on like the biggest screen. It was like, I don't know how it made it, but it made it to like the big IMAX screen. I don't no. think it was, it, it wasn't an IMAX, but it was, I watched on a massive I saw it screen. Dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a massive screen. And I remember sitting there and I believe both of those films uh, or at least searching opened up with like a windows PC. Right. And I don't use windows. Right. But they're clicking all like they're clicking everything. And, and my eyes are going from like the bottom corner of the screen, like way over to the top. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this is trippy, you know, but I could tell that everybody who's alive nowadays who uses technology, like we understand multiple tabs and multiple things going on. And I think those films strike a nerve that make it relatable to us that sometimes we have this much going on on our computers and like, especially host, that is a definition of the right movie at the right time. If that oh, would have yeah. came out a different time, I don't know if it would have been as successful. And so, you know, with a lot of these films and, and, and missing took it to the extreme missing had so, like ring cameras were involved. Like there was so much, you know, missing had so much going on that I was like, man, you know, this is getting out of control. We now have like a million different things going on on the screen. And again, that goes back to the Chad got the X thing. It's like, you know, do I watch this corner, this corner, this corner? And also <laughs> does, does it allow for rewatching capabilities, which, you know, a lot of movies nowadays, people don't rewatch, you know, back when I was growing up, we'd watch a movie like a hundred times. Now it's like, oh, I've seen it once and that's enough. And so, you know, making your movie fit into this rewatchable category to find Easter eggs or different things you didn't see the, the first time. It's like, that's the goal, I think. So a lot of those movies do very well in that regard. Cause like, to me, like my number one movie is like Mulholland Drive. Like I watched that movie a billion times and every time I catch something different. Right. And that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. People know that, but 
with some of these films, it's it's the same thing, except you're catching a different part of the screen that you're like, wow, that was a very creative. There's like a sticky notepad up there that you don't you would never see. But when you're getting to see them on a big screen, you can see more of that real estate and you can focus more on some of these things. And I think that's a really good thing for the genre too, because again, this is a subcategory within the found footage genre of you know, screen life. You know what I mean? So yeah. you've got like, yeah. you, you know, th- that's why I think the genre is so important because it reminds me of music. It's like a new music genre comes out and then it spawns subgenres within that. Because I used to not call found footage a subgenre. I used to call it just a straight genre. And then there's subgenres inside of found footage. That's what I used to tell yeah. people. But it's, you know, it's debatable and it is what it is. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I just, I feel like, you know, the more relatable you can make it, the more popular they're going to be and the more people will, will start making these movies. And again, a lot of people are making these, but the eyeballs on them, you know, the, the obscurity on some and, 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 and the, the, the eyeballs getting on some, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult, but that guy you're talking about, yeah, he's, he's hammered home some, some big guys. And I'm sure he would be a great convo because he, he knows the difficulties of, of all of those things. You know what I mean? Especially when you screen your film, when you test audience screen your film to non found footage or non, um, a, a non ADD crowd, you know, what, what do they think of them? Like my mom watched the following or my mom watched, you know, uh, 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 the missing or searching. My mom would be like, dude, I couldn't follow that movie. You know what I mean? She, <laughs> she can basically use Facebook, yeah. you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And yet those are like the only movies that keep people off their phone now because you got to engage with them. So like, like, I don't know. Yeah. Aggressively. Yeah. Wasn't there that one app? Was it called QB or something like that? And they did like mini found footage, 15 minute movies. And then it disappeared. It, it lasted for Quibi. like a year. Quibi. Yeah. It, it was a, that. um, yeah, dude, it was, it was that, massive failure, massive yeah. failure, but it was the cool. So like Mary Beth turned me on to like these TikTok stories and I started watching, I don't have TikTok, but I had, I created an account just so I could watch some of these. And I was like, this is a really cool, like again, sub genre inside of found footy that I was like, this is, this is awesome. And then that Quibi, when that came out, it fit upright in my phone. And it was like, I was live there with the guy and his phone was in my hand. It was incredible. And nobody watched it. The app died. Like I subscribed. I think I paid like 10 bucks a month. And then after one month, like it was free for like six months and then paid for one month and then it disappeared forever. Yeah. That was a cool, that was a cool invention. You know, that was a cool, you know, whether you want to call it gimmicky or not, that was a cool way to present it and a cool way to interact with it. And I think interactive stuff is kind of like another future version of this genre. Anything that can be interact. If someone can make like a found footage movie of like, like clue, like, you know, that movie clue, you know, where you're like, Oh, like the the board game clue, whatever it is, you know, you're trying to like, Oh, it's Mr. Peacock with the candlestick and the freaking, you know, if you're trying to figure out like a murder mystery, right? Like a found footage, murder mystery, interactive thing would be fucking sick. And like, you're the investigator trying to figure it out again. It would have to probably land on your phone. Oh, yeah, I don't think we're far too. away from that at all. I don't think yeah. we're far away from that at all. And I think Netflix is probably developing that because they've got the the you know software to do it because they they did it with like the whole Black Mirror thing, yeah, uh, with the Bandersnatch, and then also you know um, they do a lot with like kid shows and things. But with um, we were talking about Unfriended, uh, coincidentally, uh, last night I just watched uh, Unfriended Dark Web again last night. And I remember in that one, there were like three alternate endings uh, that they played. Um, and I think there were la- two. Yeah. And then last night I saw the ending that I did not, I, I had not seen before. Did you get to pick it or no? Weird. No. 
Weird. Uh, was that Coppola that did that? I have no idea. Pick your own ending. He, I know he did something like that. Um, talking about interactive though, you know, video games are kind of the found footage interactive world. Like that's where I guess you would go. Have you ever steered into that? I, I mean, I, I did. It, okay. So I bought, so I've played until dawn and that was like my first, okay. like th- that's not found footy, but that was my first, like, uh, like, like jump into like interactive storytelling and then the quarry came out i got that one too and then like i did the uh, paranormal activity made a vr version and not a lot of people don't know this i bought the vr paranormal activity and i've tried like the investigative you are right whether it's like resident evils look i'll be honest with you i don't really know but i have a ps5 loaded up like a million games i do mess with them not anymore, but like anytime I get like 10 minutes free, I might jump in just to give it a test. But I, I, I do know what you mean. And I agree with that. There is that, that ability there. And like, and, and, and even what Clark said about like uh, uh, Netflix, like the ability to kind of choose your own path and create your own story. And that's why I bring up until dawn, you can play that game, I think a hundred different ways and choose your own story and have yeah. your own character survive. And I think like, that is a, 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 a great way into it, whether it's on your phone or in, um, in a video game, that's a great way to kind of, again, deliver that type of storytelling and that, that style of storytelling. You know, it's interesting. Cause I think I'm going to blow your mind now, like that kind of gameplay. I, I see how they, they take the aesthetics of like the film world and they're like, Oh, it's found footage. But really when you think about found footage, it's how we're interacting with the craft. And part of the, you know, the, my fucking complaint about found footage filmmakers is that nobody's taken advantage of the physical media. Because if you're thinking that you're watching a film where some kids went out to a cave and all died, but now it's been produced, you kind of have, have a direct link in the movie you're holding. And I'm like, there's an opportunity there to really tie in this ARG. So when you're thinking about video games, the aesthetic is one thing and you can emulate a movie and that's cool. But really, you're interacting with the game. So there are games out there that take the whole interface. Like imagine you're playing a 2D platformer and halfway through the, the game will look at the name of your um, uh, desktop and it will pop up and be like, it will send you a message that looks like it's not part of the game. Mm. And like, you know, it'll start breaking that fourth wall and being like, Hey, mm-hmm. uh, you've got a virus. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so now you're, you're not thinking about the game, right? And you're interacting, but you're still in the game. And there's a lot of that going on, but just like in film, it's an indie market. And I have to turn you on to Half Mermaid Studio. We had Sam Barlow on here who made a game, which again, I got a lot of shit because last year during our lookies, our prestigious awards ceremony, I gave one of my movie slots to a video game yeah. called Immortality. It just shows your disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm thinking outside the box here. Now here's the thing. Immortality is a game. It gives you no context. You open it up and the way you're almost forced to imagine the context of this game. Basically, you're given a couple frames from a reel and through clicking around, you realize that you're an editor. And every time you look at a frame, you can click on things in the frame. So if the the picture is like a girl, it'll be like a little clip from a movie. It'll be a girl and maybe she's uh, in a church and there's candles. Well, you can go over and click like a candle. And it will pull up another frame from assortment eclipse that has a candle in it. And what you do is you start looking through all these clips and trying to figure out where this actress went. 
because all the movies were unreleased. They're all very good, by the way. They're not completed films, but they were shot legitimately. Like there's some tech behind them. And what you're doing is the way I imagined it is that uh, you have an uncle. He runs a theater. He's got a box of film reels down in the basement. You go down there, you throw them on an editing machine, and you just start figuring out what the oh. fuck happened to this girl. And it's it, there's no hand-holding. There is an element of a little bit of, like, paranormal stuff later on that, like, will flip the game completely. But it, it got a, nominated for Game of the Year, and still people don't even know about it. So I think, dude, Immortality. That look into sounds Sam incredible. Carlo. Yeah, that sounds it's incredible. Literally, it's a found footage game. And I think that's the like end all right there. Yeah. But yeah. He also made a game. God, what were they called? Oksana. Um, it got ripped off and you know, Megan is missing that movie. Yes. Yep. So there was a game that took uh, his idea and um, mixed the Megan is missing the title and made a game called Sarah is missing where the idea is you download this game on your phone because it's a mobile game. And what happens is your phone turns into the, phone of sarah and now you're digging through her phone trying to figure out where she is and it's, it's a good game it's it's good but the narrative device is lame because it's almost like you have an ai in your phone it's like hey i'm here to help you because we can't really let you do anything so i'm gonna hold your hand mm. where sam developed a couple games before that it was kind of ripping off that had an open narrative and i know one of them is you're like a you're a detective and you're on a computer, so the game is just her desktop, and you're digging. Did you find it, Oksana? Her story. Her story. And you're looking at interrogation footage, and you're trying to figure out who committed the murder. But it's all you are a separate entity, and it's like you're almost working a job. Like you're, mm. you're scrubbing footage, trying to be like, oh, I'm figuring out clues. Yeah. That's so I highly recommend coolest. you check those out. I, I definitely will Think, think about this. You're trying to tell me, so I get what you mean. So by, by the physical sense of it, you're trying to tell me that like you essentially realize that you're the editor, you've got the footage, you've got yeah. the keys to the cast. See, and, and that's what I tell people like that to me, the word found footage. And I, I think I've told you guys this before too. You're walking down the street. There's a tape on the ground. You pick <laughs> it up and you go, what the fuck is this? And you go home and you put it in and that feeling you get of, you know, anxiety or whatever, as soon as it hit, hits play, and eight millimeter, you know, is a, is a film that's not found footage, but it's a movie that I refer to a lot. Things like Sinister and eight millimeter, like yep, yep. it's, it's so like that to me, you know, maybe I take the word found footage too literally, but to me, that's where I really think it is. Because like, if you find a piece of media on the ground and you go home and you pop it in, there's gotta be a little bit of uh, weirdness going on, you know, to, to figure out like, <laughs> you, you, like there's a, there's a little bit like going, okay, what's going to be on this? You know what I mean? Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be, you know, whatever. So you know, and, and being an editor and sitting there and, and, and putting that to a video game format, that's genius. And again, that is exactly that, like taking it to a level that puts you in the driver's seat and that uh, allows you to kind of figure it out as you go. And also, like I said, just be, feel like you're the first one discovering this footage, hence the word, you know, found footage. <laughs> yeah. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to our interview with Sam Barlow because he came up, he had one of the most interesting dilemmas I've ever heard. And it's, when do the credits play? Because his game essentially is never over. You're attaining new information. The story's unfolding at the, in the direction at the pace that you unfold it. So at some point, he said, I have to allow people to stop playing. Otherwise, you'd never stop. And he's like, I have to do that with credits. So eventually, 
you learn enough and the game assumes that you've retained it and then the credits will play and then you can keep picking it up and going. It's it's really different. Wow. And this is on PlayStation. Can you get it on a, a uh, like uh, an actual system or is it just PC? I think uh, it's Atari or- only. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got it on Xbox One. So One. it should be available pretty much everywhere. Would it be better if you played it on PC? Would it feel more like an editor if you had a keyboard and a mouse? Or is it oh, better I, with I, the control? No, because it's actually, what is the old editing system where you would have like a crank and you would turn the reel on it? Like, I don't uh, know uh, what those are called. Hand, uh, no, no, reel to reel, reel to no. Yeah, reel to reel, reel to reel, reel to reel. Oh, wait, no, no. Yeah, I have no idea. But basically he wanted the controller to feel like you're manually doing this too. So you have to like rotate the, jog the wheel. joystick. Yeah, to, yep. yeah. Yep, yeah. That makes so sense. I don't know. That I really sense. don't think there's a wrong way to do it. The problem is it's kind of a singular experience. Like if you have a bunch of friends over, I don't know how well that would play, but. Man, I it made me like emotional and it was it was a bummer because everything I do with film, I want to experience it with other people. Like reading a book is great. I I challenged myself a few years ago to keep reading. But the problem is I want to talk about it immediately after. And well, start a book club, brother. No, yeah, I know that's the <laughs> ne- <laughs> I, Hey, there is there is merits in a book club and I understand why now. Yeah. But the theater, you know, immediately we can go in the lobby and talk about it while we still give a fuck, especially if it's a movie that didn't really impact you. That game, there's a there's a dilemma because even though Oksana was with me most of the time, if she left or if I played a little while she wasn't there, she's already completely removed. I'm like, "Hey, Look what I found. And she's like, I don't give a shit. I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I agree. And that's why I think with the, the VR platform, you know, the, the, you know, to me, I'm a couch co-op guy, not an online. I'm a couch oh, yeah. co-op guy. And that's just the way I grew up. Halo changed anybody's world that if Halo came out when you're a teenager, mm-hmm. you sat on the couch with four guys, James Bond, Goldeneye, if you want to go back to the N64, like that's where it all started, I think. And, and like, if you think about it like this, you know, if we could afford to have, say, five Apple headsets in a room and we're all in a room together and then we join the virtual space together and we're in there trying to solve something together, that works. But when's that going to be affordable? Like 100 years from now? You know what I mean? Like, when is that tech? The Apple headset, like, I I have all the VR, I have all the tech, but the Apple headset, I'm on the fence. I'm like, dude, 3,500 bucks? Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know about that. Like, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. Yeah. I'd it's like the I'd one watch. Apple product I don't own. I own like everything Apple tenfold. And like, it's the one product I'm just sitting here. I have the PS5, the VR for that, other VRs. And I'm just like, eh, you know, you, you kind of cross the line there at 3,500 because you're right. Individual experiences is, you know, if if you're, you're alone on a, on a Friday night and, you know, you want to do your own thing individually, that's great. But I do agree the shared experience. That's why the theater works. And that's why, yeah. you know, yeah. Even those games that took off online, the 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 um, the Jason one, the Friday Thirteenth, the Leatherface, the what what's mm-hmm. called Intel, no no what, what's the one Dead by Dawn or Dead by Daylight, some shit. Dead by Daylight. Th- yeah. th- those are huge because like everybody's online, interactive, and playing. But like I, I still think that shared experience where we can say all create an avatar that looks just like it because it's mapped out us completely head to toe. We don't look like some stupid Sims. We look like ourselves. We all jump in a world together. And, you know, we're in there together. Even if it's like lawnmower, man, we got to strap ourselves in and we're all just like next to each other. Like there's, <laughs> there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's weird. I mean, I've tried to do it at like the malls. If you've been to the malls, there's like the five people like bungeed together. It, it, it's still, and it's like, you know, 480p graphics and it's like some dinosaur thing. It's dumb. <laughs> but, but yeah. like, you know, the, the, if they could 
come out with what you're talking about and make it a shared experience, I think that would be a home run. And I, th- I think it's something that like, it's just about tech and affordability. Things are getting more affordable. For some reason, that market's just not quite there. Like the HTC Vive or the the Meta, Meta's got one now. Meta's got one that's quite affordable. That's pretty impressive. So if like each person could purchase their own Meta and bring it over, like, I don't know if you guys have ever done like the, the dual PlayStation where like a buddy brings over a PlayStation, you guys hook them up together oh, yeah. and like, yeah. So like if each person could bring over their own meta headset and then you all jump in together like that that could be really soon in the future you know what i mean something like yeah, that i don't honestly you know one one i did four xboxes back in the day because we did the halo party <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, that's yeah. It was crazy but i i think by the time maybe that becomes affordable we're not even talking about virtual reality anymore it's going to be augmented where everybody has their glasses on yeah hey, what was that movie uh jerusalem where in the beginning of that movie she has yeah, with the Z, and she has her augmented glasses on. She's playing like a zombie game where they're walking around her. Have you seen that? I have. It's been a long time, but I know exactly okay, what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah so I, I mean, don't know. Maybe next time. Yeah, that, 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 that to me, but like think about just, just go on your PS5 or your Xbox, go into the marketplace and search for couch co-op. There's like two games. It's it's like yeah, me and Val, me and Val always want to play like a couch co-op game. And I'm like, sorry, you need to be in the other room on your own Wi-Fi with your own system for us to play together. And it's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, somebody recently bought me an Oxana Diablo, and I was like, I've never played a Diablo game. But they're like, well, it's it's couch co-op. So then, oh, yeah, God, what? We got a babysitter one night and we just fucking <laughs> we played it for like four hours. We're like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen again. But it was fun. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. We did God, that too. God, it's been so long. We had a goddamn kid while you were gone. I know. Congratulations, man. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. That's I crazy. I just realized that. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I was carrying for nine months. <laughs> well, you look good. You bounced back. Your body took it well. Thank you, Put a lot of hard work in. Uh, we is, do that need three screen, is that the three screen VHS cover boxes back there? Yeah. Nice. You can I have see, that oh, too. You can see, okay. I have that oh, too. Those are awesome. Those are all. Awesome. Yeah. So, I'm a big, I just got into it. I'm trying to teach young people to go out on eBay, buy a 13 inch v- TV VCR combo and buy all the nineties horror movies on VHS and watch them in your room. It's, it's, they never got to experience oh, that. You know, they never got to. So I'm, I've been trying to convince a lot of my like 20 year old friends to do this. And they're like, they're like hitting me back being like, dude, it was so awesome. Like watching like scream or like any of these films, you know, on a 13 inch TV VCR combo in that format where it's all screwed you know it's pan and scanned you know it's not the proper aspect the directors are like this is not the way i shot the film but it's just a great way to watch it but yeah i have all three of those cover boxes i I love that um it's funny now i know you're winding down but terrell right now while we're recording is at monster palooza and he has been so mad at me for having those three screen boxes or the the vhs right there he found his second one at monster palooza and said i paid too much for it and he wouldn't tell me how much so Ooh. I have no idea what he paid. Uh, but what did you? Yeah. I paid like five dollars, dude. I went yeah. to in um, San Mateo. There was a VHS store that was basically Captain a, Video. Captain Video. Yeah, and they had a bunch of shit in there, and I found all of them there. I think, dude, I think I bought like twenty movies for like ten dollars there. 
Yeah, I just paid no, I don't 200 I just paid 200 dollars for 20 clamshell squeeze and shakes. Isn't that crazy? Dude, Blank, clamshells empty. are legit. Though. Damn. The, the, no, no, yeah. the, like the squeeze and shakes. You know the one that you squeeze the bottom and you shake it out? You know, it's like the ones you yeah. actually had at the video store. So, like, you know, because I grew up working at a video store, like I hated those things because they would cut your hands when you so yeah. I started working when like VHS turned to DVD. So we had the DVD wall. Yeah, that, exactly. I paid yeah, 200 bucks. I paid 200 bucks for 20 of those. <laughs> 20 cases. Well, dude, they're, all yellow. they're all yellow too. <laughs> we were talking to um, Chris LaMartina who, who did a WNUF Halloween special and he put out a new movie and did a VHS version. And he's like, dude, there's a finite amount of tapes left in the world. So those are going up in value. Yeah. So Scott, if you're going to do a Malibu one, jump on them now. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 conversion to VHS is like a cool crave. So I think it started with just a bunch of graphic artists on IG really hitting home runs on like yep. cover boxes, yep. right? So you know, and th- think about it like this: if anybody has a digital collection, just just check it out. Your your thumbnail is going to change about two to three times a year, and that is because. Yeah. They want to convince you. You're like, you realize you bought a movie like 18 times just because the cover box kept switching. The thumbnail swips kept switching. Right. And it's the same thing like for me. So like a movie, I absolutely like there's certain movies that I love to death. Right. So whether it's like a movie like, like Michael Mann's heat, I own 18 versions of that film. You know I mean? It's just, it's just like, you know, I don't know why it's the same thing, but it's like, but the VHS craze now to me is like super cool because like, again, it's like, we're trying to hold on to a media that, died but we're trying to bring it back and 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 you're all right like i did go on ebay recently like i for my scream all three sets in the clamshell i probably paid anywhere between five and around 12 bucks probably a piece but i got them years ago years ago i went online recently to look for a couple films and if that film is uh an oop like an out of print or if that film only had a dvd release and that dvd is not widescreen formatted right so if you pop in a a dvd right now that's that's it doesn't say formatted for 16 by nine. It's trash. You can't watch it. It's, it's going to be skewed. It's going to stretch. <laughs> the aspect ratio is off. It's horrible. Throw it away. It's garbage. That DVD is garbage. The VHS though, the VHS, I'm telling you, you have like, this is the way to, or you have to do what I did. Go to eBay. I, I did it on offer up actually Buy the TV from that era. And then it's fine. That widescreen DVD, that non widescreen DVD will work just fine, but you have to buy the TV from that era. And then it's 150 pounds, you know, like I just picked up one from some yep. weirdo, some weirdo in the mountains. And like, <laughs> it, it, it was like 200 pounds. I like, dude, I should have brought somebody to help me load this thing into my car, but I got it for like 30 bucks. It's like a 27 inch. And like, it literally like, will play those movies the way they were intended to play to a degree. But if you try to play it on your, like your 85 inch, like super widescreen, like I got this curved one, like these, these, these DVDs don't work, you know, they're trash. And like the VHS is <laughs> the, the VHS is though. Uh, if you get the proper TV to play them, the TV from that era, they're magic. I mean, I am having nostalgia nights all the time uh, with these VHSs. I have a massive collection now of VHSs, particularly from my, late teen years movies that were released that i saw in theaters and that i got to get on vhs right before it went to dvd because like i said i was on that grass right when dvds came out but like you still kind of went like most things were on vhs like dvds like you had to be like a big movie like i worked at a blockbuster when like 
DVDs came out and like we had the DVD wall and like you they're like why is that seven dollars a rental you're like dude because it's DVD <laughs> you know and like then, then we started making the VHS is like five for five for five days you know five bucks five movies for five days like so I, I'm very much in the VHS thing and I think anybody older um, can go anybody in their 30s 40s can go back and say hey I can watch a VHS and be nostalgic and like this is like it, it will take you back to being a teenager but I think. 18 to 20 year olds right now, like, or just anybody like earlier than 25, probably them getting to witness that, like, they're probably going to think it's horrible, but at least they'll get to see, like, I don't know. I just think movies are scarier on VHS, man. And, and like on, in that aspect ratio on a smaller screen too. And like six people huddled around with sleeping bags and popcorn, bro. Like, I don't know. That's just the way I was when I was a little kid. I, I saw Texas Chainsaw, Children of the Corn and, um, uh, when I was like eight, you know what I mean? And like, they, they yeah. just traumatized me. And this movie called Witchboard, which is an incredible movie, by the way, but you oh, know, yeah, I've seen Witch- the, yeah, yeah. I have the VHS of that as well. I just bought that. But, but you know, these <laughs> movies to me were just like something that like horrified me as a kid. And sometimes, especially as a filmmaker, when you're so just desensitized to getting scared in a film, you got to go back and watch these to get that feeling sometimes or re, you know, get that just to come because like we're, we're so living in a technical space now and most directors, at least in our space are also editors. And so you're living inside your footage too much and you're desensitized to it. And you really have to see an audience react to it to go, Oh, that is scary. You know, because you've seen it a million times. It's not scary. You shot it. But when you get to watch these movies, it takes you back to when you were younger and you were getting scared. And uh, I think there's something pretty magical about that. Hell yeah. Now I know, I know you want to wind down. We I have just, to. I know we do. But Scott, if when you make your physical release, there is a thing that is forgotten. And I think DVDs finally need to get some love. Because the thing that DVDs did that Blu-ray just dropped was having a good interactive menu. They would have Easter eggs in there. And it was kind of that little thing I'm talking about where you get to interact with your movie. And I remember who were we just talking to? I think we were talking to Bill Spataro, who uh he loves the House of a Thousand Corpses one because if you left the menu on, like we all did, Captain Spaulding would start talking shit to you. Like it was meant to be forgotten in the background. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, so you got to bring that back. Oh, zombie and his shit. I agree. I go, by, go by the Final Destination and take the death test. It'll tell you the day you're going to die. I love that Final Destination DVD. There's the date and time. I'm supposed to. I was supposed to have died December 31st, which was scary. Because I was like, "Oh man, that that was so makes sense, right?" You just get trapped in the ears. But it was December 31st, 2022, and I won't lie. That happened to. I like I, that was the DVD from like 2001, and I I it told me my death in 2001. No, no, not 2000. Yeah, 2001, and I was supposed to die. And I remember I held that date true, and I remember being that night. I took it extra easy because I was like, "Dude, you know, like, what if I actually die?" You know. And Final Destination called it. But yeah, I, I love interactive menus. And like for filmmakers out there, you know, if you go back to the old software, DVD Architect Pro made by Sony, uh, Sony Vegas, and there was one more, Adobe had one. You can still very easily create a nostalgic 90s to early 2000s DVD menu that's very easy to make. You can make it on your own. DVD Architect Pro, I just, I've had it forever. I had to install it from the disc. You know what I mean? I had to find a disc player like online, plug it into my computers and start installing this thing. But you can still make those DVD menus that were super interactive, that led you into rooms, that did all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, I agree. I, I agree with that. As long as they fix the aspect ratio, you know, as long as it's four 16 by nines, 
I'm good with DVDs. I'm just, look, I was so pissed. I was popping in DVDs because like some movies I have only made on DVD. And I'm like, what the hell? It's like stretched up. You know what I mean? It gets stretched up. And then you try to do the Zoom thing and it doesn't work because the DVD was not, so it has to say modified on the back of it, modified to fit. And then if it is modified, that is the true director's vision and aspect ratio that the director wanted you to see it in too. So, you know, it's just, it's just funny, but yeah, I agree. DVD interactive menus were amazing Easter eggs, hidden things in there. I still have so many that I go back to. Dude, what is it? Fight, Fight Club. It opens with "Never Been Kissed," the Drew Barrymore movie. You go, what the fuck? It opened the menu screen, dude. There's a version of Fight Club. I have it. It, it, it pops up. It's Drew Barrymore's "Never Been Kissed." It's Drew Barrymore. The music kicks in. It's never been kissed. You go, what the fuck? And then it glitches out, and it's the Fight Club menu. Like that was so awesome. Little things like that That's I miss. Tight. That's some found footage shit right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Little things like that I miss, dude. Like I could nerd out about that shit all day. But you know, I would have to rehash my memory again because everything's in storage. So your memory's much better than mine. <laughs> You're pull- I can't believe you remembered your death date from the fucking DVD of oh, man, I petrified. Yeah, I was petrified. I was like, dude, it's coming up, man. It's like that movie, was it countdown or whatever? It was like countdown for the yeah. early two thousands. It was countdown for the like I didn't take it seriously, but at the same time, like my friends could tell I was being a little weird that night. I was like, dude, you never know. Yeah, no, for sure. Dan, did you take Valentina out? You have a nice romantic meal or something? <laughs> You're like, I can't storage. Yeah. I like cover myself in bubble wrap, but I'm just like sitting there at the dinner table. <laughs> Scott, I, man, I love you, dude. It's nice yeah. catching up with you. And, well, I, you know, I jumped on your IMDb. You have 18 movies in production. We'll have to have you back on to talk about them. Cause a lot of making up to do. A lot of making going. up to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and congratulations on Malibu. I know it's been Thanks, 28 man. years in the making. Yeah, man. And yeah. <laughs> it's finally going to come out. We can yes. finally shut everybody up and be like, here's how you watch it. Go to the goddamn theater. Yes, yeah, so the Friday, theater. October 20th. Um, yeah, how, how can people watch the movie, Scott? It's it's going to be at a lot of theaters. I'm seeing it's Thursday night, which is crazy. So you can go see oh, it yeah. Thursday night, early, 7, 9 a.m., uh, 9 p.m. and 7 p.m. shows. And then... Friday, Saturday, I'd prefer you to watch it Friday or Saturday because, you know, a lot of times, you know, Sunday, uh, Sunday things can get a little bit weird, especially with this Taylor Swift thing. But yeah, this weekend, Malibu, HorrorStoryTickets.com, go to Fandango, go to your AMC app, your Regal app, whatever type of Malibu Horror Story. Hopefully it is playing near you and buy tickets and go see it. Support independent filmmaking. There we go. Scott, (laughs) it's good to talk to you. Yeah, you guys too, man. It's always a blast. Like I said, we could talk all day, dude. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at the Overlook Theater, Instagram at the Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>